Did I not say? I never said. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Now, I want you to thank you. I want you to be able to see it and be able to get into it. Now, I'm going to, we've been t- doing this little series talking about um, questions about the Bible. Because a lot of people have deep questions in their hearts and on their minds, uh, but sometimes they're afraid to ask. You may have grown up in church where you had some doubts, you had some questions, but maybe you just kind of got the idea that if you ask, people say, well, you're just supposed to believe this, or you're just supposed to know this, or something like that. But you had some real questions. Here's the problem. I'm getting so tired of seeing kids that grow up connected, kind of, to a church, grow up, go to college, get mixed up in stuff, and then not know whether they even believe in God or not. I'm getting tired of that. It doesn't have to be that way. And, and I want to challenge our parents to put forth the effort to get your kids in our stuff that we have available here, whether it's Sunday school, whether it's kids worship, whether it's Wednesday night stuff, we have all kinds of things. We need to learn the Word of God. But there are answers to all these questions is what we find out. Last week we talked about can we trust it? We looked at the archaeological, the historical, the literary evidence that supports the Bible. And, uh, but it comes down to this. If you don't want to believe, if you don't want to see it, it doesn't matter what happens. In fact, there was a guy in a story that Jesus told that had died and found himself in torments. And he knew that that's, that was God's judgment in his life. He didn't even question it. He knew that was just and right. And he asked that if he had sinned this guy that they knew, this beggar Lazarus, back to earth to warn his brothers lest they come to this place. You know what the answer was to him? They've got Moses and the prophets. At that time, that was the entire Bible. If they won't listen to that, they won't listen even if somebody come back from the dead. That's from a story Jesus told in Luke 16. So if you don't want to believe, it doesn't matter what evidence you have, you won't believe. You have to want to seek the truth in your heart. Too many people want to reject it because they want to be God over their own life. So today, we're going to talk about this. What is the heart of the message of the Bible? I mean, I think that there are a lot of people that are really confused about this. If somebody were to ask you that, how would you answer it? Is there a way you could condense down the message of this book to just a conversation that you could have with someone? And that's kind of what I want to do today. I want to go through this, and I want to give you, and even though you think you know it, give you the heart of the message of the Bible, all right? Now, there's some good news, we find it, and there's some bad news. Bad news first, okay? Are you ready? And that's where we're going to start in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, where he gives us some bad news. And he tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, he says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, who was that? Adam, you've read the story, Adam and Eve, and yeah, where we rejected God, wanted to be God ourselves, and disobeyed God. Yeah, so he says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. You realize the reason why there's death is because of sin. He says, and so guess what? Death spread upon all men or all mankind because all sinned. That's bad. But there's also some good news. And one of the best places to look at that is, remember John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The Greek word is monogenes. That means his unique, one-of-a-kind son. That whoever believes in him should not perish. Remember that death part and everything like that? An eternal death. Should not perish, but have eternal life. So we have these things. Now, what is this all about? I'm convinced that a lot of people out there are confused about what the message of the Bible is. And unfortunately, so many people who call themselves Christians and many of us are in church, we just just muddy the water. 
We present a bad witness. I'm convinced there's a lot of people that grew up in church and hearing this stuff all their lives that know a lot of the pieces of the puzzle and they know a lot of stuff from the Bible have no idea how it fits together. So that's why I want to take a look at this and so that I can help me and hopefully help you have the tools so that you know this and can share it with other people because this is the best news in the world, right? Good news. You know what another word for good news is? Gospel, right? That's what the gospel is. So if I'm going to do this, I have found one of the best places to start things is at the beginning. But many people get sidetracked with secondary stuff and they obscure the heart of the message of the gospel. All right, so let's start where we should start, and that is the beginning. In the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, the very first verse of the Bible, right there it is. You know it, the first four words of the Bible are, in the beginning, God. Right there. I mean, right there in the very beginning, he is already there. There's, there's, there's God. There's no beginning to God. There is no end to God. And a lot of people get all boggled right there. How can there not be a beginning to God? And my question is, what kind of God do you think you want? He's not like you. He's eternal. It should blow your mind. No beginning. In the beginning, that's our beginning of this universe, and creation, he's already there. In the beginning, God. And you think that's deep, you don't go very much further. And you find God, who is one God, speaking and using plural terms of himself. And so we find that God is also one essence, one God, one divine essence. But there are three divine distinctions. God is a community of three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God is one essence, three persons. And this is not something the Bible tries to explain to us logically. It's just there. It just is all the way through. You see it. And so God himself is a community. Are you following me? I'll go faster if I know you're following me. God himself is a community of oneness where he is loving. Think about it. And being loved. Serving and being served. Knowing and being known, celebrating and being celebrated. And I want you to see that our creation of this universe and planet Earth and all of humanity and everything else flowed out of that community and fellowship of love within God. Now, that word community is thrown around a lot these days. What does it mean? The word community comes from the old French, our English word we use today. I want to study the background, right? Words are tools. It comes from the old French, which literally means to share together or to have in common. Now, its equivalent in the New Testament is a word that we throw around here a lot. Is the Greek word that's in our New Testament translated into English. It's the Greek word koinonia. You've heard us talk about that. And that word means to have in common. It means to share together. Most often in the Bible, it is translated as fellowship or communion. This word we're talking about, that is God and within God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, in the very beginning of the church, it says that they devoted themselves, all of those people who had embraced the gospel, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. They're a part of this amazing fellowship. And so it was in the atmosphere of, are you getting this? In the atmosphere of love and fellowship 
that, and perfection that God created mankind. Well, I look around and I don't see in this creation that God had a whole lot of love these days. Or fellowship. Or togetherness. In fact, I see just the opposite. I don't see any perfection. What happened? I mean, did God mess up? Did, was there a flaw in his plan? Not at all. This was all part of God's plan that the potential for this could happen. Because we find out what we call, in theological terms, this happened. The fall. That's where mankind fell from their relationship with God to not having a relationship with God. We messed it all up. Not God. We did. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God and wanted to assume the role of being independent from their creator and wanting to be God over their own life, it violated their relationship with this perfect God. Now, as long as the man and the woman were in right relationship with God and they were in right relationship with each other and with all of the rest of creation. Did you see that right there in Genesis 1 and 2? Yeah, they were in right fellowship with everything. But as soon as they violated their relationship with God, it shattered everything else. Now, here's what I want you to see. There wasn't a flaw in God's plan. There are two truths that run parallel through the Bible. They seem to contradict, but they do not. They actually run parallel all the way through, and they are both true. One is of God's sovereignty. That, yes, God is control in control of everything. He rules and reigns over all. He knows all. But it also teaches human responsibility. You and I have a free will. Now, God isn't up there like, well, I don't know what they're going to do. But when they do, I'll react to it. No, God already knows. He's God. But the same truth is there that you and I, even though God is sovereign, within his sovereign is human responsibility. That you and I make real decisions and we are held accountable for those decisions. Otherwise, it's not much of a relationship, is it? We would be, if we didn't have this, we would be no different than the animals that are just kind of programmed to do what, what God programmed them to do. So these true, two truths. Now, this was illustrated right there in the beginning by this one tree, you remember, that God placed in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember that one tree that God placed there uh, called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Now, this is a tree that, uh, that they were not to touch. Now, it showed God's ownership because when you own something and you make something and you create it and it's all yours, you pretty much can say what goes, can't you? Can't you? You can pretty much make the rules. So it shows God's ownership. Keep your hands off this. But it also showed our responsibility that you have now decisions to make to respond or reject God. Okay? Now, think of the possibilities. There were probably thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of trees that they could have eaten from. There's only one, only one that God said, keep your hands off. I said so. And he's God, right? So it's a symbol of both of these things that we see right there in the beginning. And we find out as we go just a tiny bit further that humans were made different from all the rest of creation. Did you notice that? God did something totally different. He breathed into man. He breathed into, into humans the breath of life. And we were created how? In the image of God, different than anything else. And in God's image isn't so much referring to a physical image. It's referring to our soul, mind, will, and emotion, ability to make these decisions. And so we were, as it's been said, we were God-marked. 
There's a God-shaped hole inside of us that we were created with. We were created, listen, we were designed to have a relationship with our creator. That's how God designed it. So there's a God-shaped hole in our souls. People don't recognize it. People don't want to realize it. And they try to fill that void in their life with all kinds of other things, with all kinds of entertainments, with all kinds of money, with all kinds of activities, with all kinds of relationships. We keep trying, but we're never satisfied. We're never satisfied. If we think we're satisfied, it doesn't last very long. There's an emptiness that's deep inside. People try to fill it with all these other things. Never works. By the way, as we go a little further in Genesis, we find this weird story about how all humanity were kind of like together and they're kind of sticking together after the beginning and after, you know. Uh, and we find that they, they decide to build this big tower, this ziggurat, this temple. And they want to reach up into heaven and they want to they be independent of God and they want to exert themselves. It's called the Tower of Babel. Remember that? Okay, that's in Genesis chapter 11. This incident was all about this. It was an attempt to fill that void, and it was an attempt to build community apart from God. And God stepped in to keep them from making matters worse. And the lesson taught is that their attempt to do this apart from and in defiance of God would only lead to more confusion and more separation and more dysfunction. So the Bible says that God scattered them and God confused their language. Did you get that? Not only did God confuse their language where groups of them couldn't understand each other, but it says God scattered them. Now, I've never been able to understand, and it doesn't tell us whether because they couldn't understand this group went this way and that group went that way, but it says God God scattered them. Did he supernaturally just move them to different points? It, it could be. But here's what I know. This was the beginning of, of a lot of differences among humanity. Because Noah and his sons and their wives had all of the genetic code for all of humanity. And once small groups were separated out and began to intermarry and have children, if you've studied genetics, you know that these smaller groups, then it thinned down the gene pool, right? And certain traits became dominant. If you've raised cattle or dogs or you've done anything like that, you understand a little bit about genetics. And that's why with this group, that within a few generations, different features would become dominant from eye color to hair color to skin color. Some got lighter, some got darker. This is where all the ethnic groups and this is where all the races came from. As this happened, it can happen very quickly. You have somebody with some big ears and they you fall in love. This guy falls in love with a woman with big ears. I mean, and there's a good chance that their kids are going to have some flappers. You know what I'm saying? Nothing wrong with that, but that's just how this works. And so this is how, so, so there's really only in all this struggle that we're having in our world, our society over ethnicity and over races is something that the church is supposed to pull everybody back together. This is God's desire because there's only one race and that's the human race. But unfortunately, because of our sin, we've had divisions and there's been people who have been mistreated and we mistreat each other all the time. That's not what God wants. That's what sin does. That's not what Christ wants. So this is the thing that happened. God scattered them. And by the way, I've just summed up the first 11 chapters of the Bible. I'm going to sum up the rest of the Old Testament here pretty quick. Are you ready? Let's stay with it. Because in the midst of this, God still had a plan. 
And he announced that plan right after Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden when he said that a seed of the woman will come. Now, that sounds strange because the woman doesn't have the seed. The male has the seed unless you're talking about a virgin birth, right? That the seed of the woman is going to come and crush the enemy's head. So right there, God is announcing that there is someone coming. There's someone who is going to arrive on planet Earth and is going to be our deliverer from this problem and the curse of sin that came on the planet and on mankind and the death that resulted. So, starting in the next chapter, Genesis chapter 12. You ready? We find God's continued investment in the drama on planet Earth that he wants to bring people into fellowship and into relationship and into community with himself and with each other. Look a little more excited, folks. This is good stuff. God called and singled out a man named Abram. And this man was so old that he was past the time when you would even want to talk about having kids, much less it actually happened. And God said that you are and your wife are going to have a son, and through this is going to be a multitude of people, and that through this multitude of people, all the different nations are going to be, the whole world is going to be blessed. Yeah, God always does things the least likely way we would think, right? Right? So that's what God did. And through this people, the deliverer would come. He would be a blessing. And through this people, God would show a picture to the rest of the world of the love and the oneness that they could have with God and with each other. He said they would be a light to the rest of the world. And you know what? He even changed Abram's name from Abram, which means exalted father, to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. God did not quit on his plan to call us into relationship with himself. And it says that Abraham, he believed God and trusted God. That's faith. That's what faith is. He had faith in God. He wanted in on this. He wanted what God wanted. And he responded to God totally. Now, the story of the unfolding of this is the rest of the Old Testament. As God separated out his people through Abraham's son Isaac and then his son Jacob. And Jacob's name got changed to Israel. And then all of his descendants. And they became known as Israel because of that. And God separated them out. And here's the plan. God gave them his detailed law and, and statutes. And, and they were to be a light to the other nations. But you know what? Israel didn't, didn't do that very well. And they continued to repeat that cycle of rebellion and division against God. They made that decision to do their own thing instead of God's thing time and time again. And it broke God's heart because they rejected the relationship for which they were created. And you know what? As you go through the Old Testament, the prophets, um, God reflected in these truths in many ways. And um, in Ezekiel, and by that time, they are, because of their rebellion, in captivity in Babylon. Because they continued to fight and war with other nations. And they fought among themselves and divided among themselves. They end up in captivity. It's part of the judgment of God, part of the result of their sin. And in that time, Ezekiel wrote, and he tells what I call an emotional word picture. It's a story. That illustrated that, that speaking from God as he wrote it in Ezekiel chapter 16 about uh, to help us understand. Parables do the same thing. Give us a story to help us understand a spiritual truth. And in that story, he likens them to a baby. God is likening them to be to like a baby that he found. 
that had been cast out to die and was struggling in its own blood. He had rescued her, adorned her, raised her, and gave her the finest of everything only for her to turn on him. That's what God said it felt like. And Israel was also likened unto, he used this illustration, of a wife that would turn from her husband's love to a life worse. Now, this is really the way the Bible describes it. To a life worse than that of a prostitute in that she actually paid her lovers instead of receiving payment from them. He said, that's what you're like. And if you go on, he even used real-life examples like the prophet Hosea, and his life even illustrated that. It's amazing. He demonstrated through various prophets. Even though there was rebellion, God's response was to love and to keep on loving. And even though the people despised the covenant that he made with Abraham, and even though they despised the covenant that he made through Moses and the laws and the statutes, and they continued their rebellion, God continued to love. There needs to be a solution, and that solution is in one that we know as the deliverer. There was one that was promised all the way in Genesis 1 that was repeated to Abraham and it was part of the covenant and the promise all the way through when God gave the law. So much of the ceremony were, were like pictures of something God was going to do about the Passover lamb and about all the different things. All of this was a picture of something, but they didn't get it. They were focused on themselves. So God's response was to intervene again. And this was the ultimate part of God's plan. And it brought human history to a defining moment. And of course, you know, I'm talking about Jesus. Because finally, this deliverer came. This Messiah, this Christ came. And it wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a miracle worker. He wasn't just a teacher. He was fully human, but he was also God himself. God himself came in fully human form to be our deliverer. The Savior, the Messiah, now offers us that relationship with God and relationship potential with one another for which we were created. His life, as he lived as a human on earth, showed us how to live. And then his death, because he was the only one qualified, being fully human and fully God, his death was the only one that could pay for all of our sin debt. He's the only one that could take ours upon himself and pay for the penalty of our sins, which alienated us from God and from each other. And then his resurrection gives us power to live a different and transformed life once we have relationship with him, to change our lives. So it's through Christ that we're given the opportunity to enter into what we were created for. And that is a oneness and relationship and fellowship with God and with each other. Did you know this is exactly what Jesus prayed about on that night before, as he was on his way to the garden, before he went to the cross? John chapter 17, verse 21. This is Jesus praying. And it said, he said this in verse 21, that they may all be one just as you, Father. Did you hear that? Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world, God's heart has always been about the whole world, folks, that the world may believe that you have sent me. Next verse, verse 22. Then he prays, the glory that you have given me, I've given to them that they, did you hear that? Want us to be one with him, but that we would be one with each other, that they may be one even as we are one. That's powerful. It's hard to describe how God had to do this. Many years ago, 
A philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard wrote a story to try to illustrate it. I want to share that story with you because it's pretty good. Are you ready? Now listen to me. It's story time, but it's got a lesson. Are you ready? Once upon a time, there was a prince who was single and very eager to marry a lovely maiden for his future queen. Near his palace was a large city. And often he rode his carriage down to the city to take care of various chores for his father, the king. One day, to reach a particular merchant, he had to go through a rather poor section of town. And he happened to glance out the window of his carriage and ride into the eyes of a beautiful maiden. His heart was smitten. He had the occasion on the next few days to return to that section of the city, drawn as he was by the eyes of the maiden. And more than that, he had the good fortune once or twice to actually kind of meet her, this young girl. And soon he began to feel that he was deeply in love with her. But now he had a problem. How should he proceed to procure her hand in marriage? Of course, he could have, being the king's son, he could have ordered her to the palace and their proposed marriage, and she would have really had no choice. But even a prince would like to feel that the girl he marries wants to marry him, right? Or perhaps, somewhat more graciously, he could go to her door in his most resplendent uniform and, with a bow, ask for her hand. But even a prince wants to marry for love, And not just overwhelm and dazzle her in that way. Again, his mind was racing. He could masquerade as a peasant and try to gain her interest. After he proposed, then he could pull off the mask. But still, it would be just a masquerade. He would be phony. And he really couldn't manage that. Finally, a real solution came to him. He would give up his kingly role completely and move into her neighborhood. And there he would take up a job as a regular servant. He would get regular work as, say, a carpenter. And during his work in the day and during his time off in the evening, he would get acquainted with people and begin to share their interests and their concerns and to talk their own language And in due time, should fortune be with him, he would make her acquaintance in a natural way. And should she come to love him as he had already come to love her, then he would ask for her hand. This is similar to God's situation with us. He loved us and he wanted our love. He could have commanded us to love him, but for love to be real, it has to be voluntary, right? It had to be free and voluntary love. He could have, as I said, ordered us to love him, but that wouldn't be voluntary. He could appear to us in his kingly glory, but who would not be in awe and want to obey such a king? He wanted to win our love without dazzling and overwhelming us by the magnificence of his divinity. And this is why St. Paul writes what we studied in Sunday school in the D6 classes today in Philippians chapter 2, where he says in verse 6 through 8, Paul says, though he was by nature God, he, being Jesus, did not consider being equal with God a thing to be clung to. But he did what? He emptied himself. Are you following me? He emptied himself, taking the nature of a slave and being made like unto men. 
and appearing in the form of a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even the death on a cross. He met us on our own level that we might respond freely to his love. And that's why he did it the way that he did. God could have made us like puppets and made us to love him. But that would have made the love meaningless. God wants it to be real, so he came to us in this way. And this new fellowship, this new relationship, this new community, which began with Abraham and the people of Israel, was brought to ultimate reality with the cross of Jesus Christ. It's one story, culminating in what's called his church. That's all of those who trust Christ and are saved. Paul refers to it as the true, fully realized Israel of God. That's who we are. Now, on the day of Pentecost, this message was spread. God's presence, even though the Son had gone back to the Father's right hand, God the Spirit, God's presence came to live in those who trusted Him. Those who received Christ as their Savior, trusting that He, Him for their salvation, that He paid for their sins on the cross. That those who were saved, God's presence, the Holy Spirit, came to live within us. And on that day, it was amazing. If you read in Acts chapter 2 where that happened, you find out that everybody there got to hear the good news about this in their own languages. As they had supernatural ability, these people who had been with Jesus, to speak the good news in languages they hadn't learned. Uh, by the way, the word tongue that's used there, and some translate tongues, it's just a word that means languages. And it tells us in Acts chapter 2 that everyone there heard it in their own languages. Every language that was spoken was a distinct human language there that day. In fact, they say it this way, that we hear them speaking in our own language and they changed the word from language to dialect. So they weren't just hearing it in their language because people and Jews had come to Pentecost feast from all over, from different parts of the Roman Empire. And for many of them, Aramaic or Hebrew was not their native language. But they're hearing it in their native language and in, in, in their own dialect. I suppose if somebody from the Ozarks had been there, it had that twang to it, right? In Yalal and Ewanses, right? It was that, that's what it's describing. They all heard it. So God was publicly and in, 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 in an obvious way undoing what had happened at Babel. Did you see that? He's undoing what we did at Babel and bringing people back together. Community with God and the potential for one another. And that's why he says now that there is not Greek nor Jew or Gentile or any other thing. It doesn't matter social class skin color, how big your ears are, anything. That we can be one in Christ and together. See, folks, this is the message of the church. This, I want to tell you, is what our world is hungry for. This is what they need because otherwise we still just have chaos. This is what God has called us to. And the church the word in the Bible never refers to a building. He's, it, it always refers, the word literally means in the Greek, called out. God's called out people that he has called to themselves. They have answered God's call to salvation through Christ. They've entered in, together into relationship and communion with God. And so the church, we are to respond. 
reflect God's oneness, being in relationship with him, and the way that we're in relationship with one another, just like Jesus prayed that I read, right? When the church is being the church, it is the relational heart of God on display. We show it when we come together, caring for one another, using the spiritual gifts that he gives us that are not only extensions of God, but of each other, because none of us have all the gifts. And I not only need God, I need what God wants to do in my life through you and others in the body of Christ. Otherwise, I'm incomplete. And if you're at home saying, I don't need to gather and connect with the local church, I'm just fine by myself. According to the Bible, no, you're not. You are incomplete. You don't have all the gifts because you're in fellowship with God and God's family. That's God's plan. That's what it always was. That's what the church is all about. There's nothing like this, folks, when we do it right. This plan was always the heart of God's message. And the amazing message of God's transforming love has been given now to the church to proclaim and display. It offers truth to the confused. We're to offer bridges to the seekers, comfort to the troubled. We're to bring healing to the afflicted. It mends the broken in the context of our togetherness and fellowship. It, uh, it offers resources to those who have none and those who are in need. And it, it, it begins, as we do this right, it opens doors to those who feel like they've been forgotten or have been forgotten. It, it, the downtrodden and the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addictions. It frees the oppressed and offers belonging to those who have been marginalized. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity through God for healing and wholeness. The heart of the message of the Bible, you're going to find Christ saying, I have come to offer forgiveness of sin, a relationship with God, and to build my church. Now the final chapter. See, what I've told you is not the final chapter. At the end of time and the resurrection of those who have received Christ's reconciliation, God's people on earth on that day will be transformed into eternity as one family, one body. And heaven, are you listening? The ultimate community and fellowship that reflects all that our hearts long for. Sometimes we don't even, can't even put our finger on what that longing is we have when we're on the beach and see a beautiful sunset or on the, in the mountains. There's just a, there's something there. It's longing for this thing that God has for us. We're united with Christ and with each other, and the Bible says we will reign with him forever. And finally, folks, our lives will be there like they were meant to be lived. We will be all that we were meant to be. You're not going to just be some soul out there. You will be you. And you will be the you that God always meant for you to be. There will be no more darkness, no more fallenness, no more pain, no more tears, no more emptiness, no more sorrow, no more death. We will be in full fellowship and union with the living God. And we will be in... Would you stand?